I want to speak to you this morning about leaving God's Word, leaving God's Word, as in leaving it behind, leaving God's Word. In this, uh, in this text that we're going to look at, and if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, this is where we find ourselves uh, today, Mark chapter 7, the beginning of, of Mark. We really have um, a showdown here between God's Word and the words of man, religion. Religion has always existed. Oftentimes, in, in, this, in this text this morning, we're going to be defining religion in negative terms. Uh, religion is not always, even in the scripture, defined in a negative way. I think of James when he says, pure and undefiled religion is this. So religion by itself, that word isn't necessarily bad, and it's not necessarily wrong. Uh, after all, we have even the scripture that uses it in a positive way. However, often in the scripture and in our life, we see that religion is used in a very negative way. That is, a person can be devout, and they can be religious, and yet they can be without God. And this doesn't just mean that uh, those people out there, like those people in, uh, in the liberal churches out there, they're the ones who can be religious, or, you know, uh, if we're going to talk about religion, we could talk about Catholicism or, or some kind of uh, liberal Protestantism, something along those lines, and say, those are the religious people out there. No, what we see in the scriptures is, is that religion comes in different forms and in different ways and even invades the evangelical church. Religion is uh, directly opposed to the kingdom of God. And by the way, you don't even have to necessarily believe in a personal God to be religious. The scripture says that everyone knows that there's a God in the bottom of their heart, according to Romans chapter 1, but there's people who make evolution their religion. They have great faith in it. They have great faith in the tenets of their morality, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But it's possible to be religious. Listen to me. It's possible to be religious at any age in life and still miss God still miss him. And Jesus is deeply concerned about this. Jesus is deeply concerned about people who seem to have all the rituals down. They know the God talk. They know the lingo. They know how to speak in Christianese. They, they know how to say things that are Christian. And listen, um, this, is, this, is a, this is a problem not just with um, with a certain age, you know, someone who's 90 years old or 85 years old, something like that, it can be, and oftentimes is, involved with people who are young. I recently had a conversation with a, with a young man, I say that now, that's interesting. <laughs> a lot younger than me, and he's still a man, so I guess he's a young man. He had been raised in a Christian home He knew all of the right stuff. 
but he was actually turned off to, to Christianity. He would still embrace a lot of what he had been raised with. He would embrace a lot of the things that he had been told as right. And yet he didn't really seem, at least on the surface or from the expression of his heart, to really know God. Listen, there are, there are people who are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old who have been raised and know all sorts of verses, who are able to pick apart a church in a second. Well, this should be this way, and this should be this way, and this should be this way. And yet the heart is missing, actually knowing God. And this is what Jesus was after. He's saying, look, you can be in a whole religious system. You, you can know it front and backwards, and yet you can actually still miss out on the essence of what it means to have a right relationship with God. And my prayer here is this morning that if you're caught in religion, we're going to talk about what that looks like a little bit this morning. But if you're caught in some form of religion, even in the evangelical church, and yet your heart is telling you at the bottom of it all that you really don't know God, you need to listen to that. You say, well, I, I have all these different things down. My dad was this, or my mom was this, or I come from this kind of church, or I've had this kind of teaching. And yet you've never really experienced the power of God and the working of the Holy Spirit that leads to a transformed life. Then it's not good enough to just simply go through the motions. In fact, the more you go through the motions, the harder you'll get. The more you hear the gospel, the more you resist it, the more you say, well, yes, I've heard that a million times before. Okay, are we done with this? Can we move on? The more that there will be a hardening of, of heart. And so what we see in this text, if you go to Mark chapter 7, is Jesus has been doing all these incredible miracles. He's been uh, traveling around the region of Gennesaret. He's touching people. People are touching him, even the fringe of his garment, as it were, at the end of verse 56 there in Mark chapter 6. And as many as touched it, they were made well. And now we get into chapter 7, and this is where we pick up today. Now when the Pharisees, Pharisees as we've talked about means separated ones, separate ones, they gathered to him. And some of the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now this is interesting. Whenever God begins to work, whenever there's a genuine working of God, you can guarantee that the critics are going to show up. The spiritual critics. Jesus has been doing some amazing miracles. The power of the Holy Spirit is working through him. And now there are religious leaders who do not really know God that have a problem with him. Anytime that God begins to do something in our life and God begins to really move in our hearts and he begins to change us and things begin to happen in our lives where all of a sudden we were living this way and now we are living this way, 
Listen, you're going to get it from unbelievers, people who come up to you who do not know God, and they are going to criticize you. But oftentimes it comes from religious people, religious people. And there's a whole feel with religion. I remember in our, in our first church, there was a lady who from time to time would, would play the piano. And her husband uh, rarely, if ever, came to church, but I remember having a conversation with him. He was involved in the Masons, and I don't mean he was a bricklayer. He was in this, uh, this secret society, of course, of, of different rituals and, and so forth. And I remember talking to him about God. And he had all the right things to say. He would say he believed in the Bible. He would say he believed in Jesus. He would say that he believed in these things. And yet it became very evident just from the spirit, and I don't mean a demonic spirit, I just mean from his own human spirit that was coming out of him. The, the words that he was using, the phrases that he articulated, that even though he was a very religious man, he didn't really know God. And any time that God begins to work in your life or begins to work in a church, you can guarantee that the religious critics are going to show up. The people who seem to have it all down, the people who say, religion has to look this way, and you're, you're doing things like this, and I guess there's, there's maybe something to some of what you're doing, but the, the truth is you're actually getting very far away from what real religion looks like, and they have, a, they have an issue with that. Perhaps you've experienced this. God has begun to do something in your life, and you've begun to see change in your life. You've begun to see change in your heart. And all of a sudden, it's not just people out there that are criticizing you. It's people from your own household, friends, people who call themselves Christians, people who are very religious, it seems like, in every way, as, as Paul would say. But yet they don't really know God, and yet they, they delight in somehow trying to bring you down and somehow pick you apart. And if you know God, and if God is really moving in your heart, you're going to experience this. This isn't just from people who don't seem uh, that high and mighty. This could be people like the Pharisees who are very well schooled. People like the scribes who knew the legal implications of the Old Testament front and back. They knew this thing. And so Jesus is beginning to work in a, a mighty and powerful way. People are being healed, and all of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees show up. And they have a problem. And the problem there in verse 2 is that his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, uh, that is, unwashed. Now, the problem that they have here is, is not a problem with hygiene. They're not saying, Jesus, listen, your, your disciples are, are kind of gross. Well, we've noticed that whenever they go to Popeye's chicken or whatever, they go in there and they've been doing all sorts of uh, disgusting stuff all day and they go up in the order and we notice that they don't take a restroom break and they don't go in and wash their hands and come out with clean hands. In fact, they're eating with these dirty hands. No, no, the problem is not hygiene in the text. They are not saying you have a problem with not keeping clean, you don't wear deodorant or things like that. The problem is with their ceremony. 
They're saying, listen, we have this tradition that has been passed down for hundreds of years that separates us as Jews from Gentiles, that, that shows us what is pure and shows us what is impure. So before they would have meals, they wouldn't just scrub their hands to wash their hands and keep them clean, but they would wash their hands to keep them ceremonially clean, and that was the issue here. In fact, um, it seems like there's some debate over this as to exactly how they were washing their hands. Uh, different historians say different things. But one in particular says that uh, they would take a cup of water, this is often what they do today, they would take a cup or a glass of water and they would dump the water, making sure that their unclean hand hadn't touched the water. They would dump the clean water on their right hand, so they'd pick it up with their left hand, dump it on their right hand twice, so they would pour some water on it, pour some water on it again. Then they would take their clean hand and they would dump water on it again uh, one time and then they would dump it on their left hand a second time and then they would dry them off. Uh, they would do this um, after all sorts of different things. Um, anytime they had come in contact with the Gentiles or uh, I guess I'll say the word, after they had had intercourse or after they had had sex, they would wash their hands. They would do it in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of different fashions. They would wash their hands ceremonially. And so they come to Jesus and they say, listen, we notice that your disciples, it's not a matter that they don't keep clean, but it's a, it's a matter that they don't keep ceremonially clean. They're not washing their hands in the proper way. They're not dumping the water on their right hand twice and then dumping the water on their left hand twice. They're not doing this. We have a problem with that. Why aren't they washing correctly? Now, if you look at verse 3, there's an explanation of this. If you look down at uh, chapter 7, verse 3, they're very uh, particular about how they wash uh, their hands. Verse three, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat. There it is. Uh, by the way, a lot of the readers reading this would have been Gentile readers. And so this is why John Mark or Mark is giving an explanation here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. So they say, listen, before we eat, before we do these things, and after we do certain things, we have to wash in a particular way. And if you've noticed, oftentimes religion is very particular, very interesting. People who don't know God, people who don't have a right relationship with him, even when they're very religious, you would think that they would say, well, you know, I just kind of believe in God and I don't really have any particulars about my own religion. But that's not the way the scripture puts it here. These people are very religious and their religion is very particular. So it's like someone coming to church and saying things like this. Well, um, if you wanna worship God, you have to worship God this way. And uh, we, don't, uh, we don't listen to rock music or rap music because that stuff is, we don't listen to any of that stuff. 
And, and we've noticed that it's kind of strange. We, we've, come into a, we've come into church expecting it to look this way. We're very particular about how the church should be, how the words should be preached, how the singing should go. We're, we're, we're even very particular about the carpet. Well, we're, we're very particular. We have all of these different rules about how things should be in the church. We're very religious. And oftentimes people get intimidated by this. They think, well, well my goodness, they, these, these people have all these different rules. And by the way, lest we think that this is just for older people who think like this, that's not true. Some of the most dogmatic people I have met about traditions are young people. Now, you would think that it's just, oh, people who are kind of set in their ways, you know, those people who've been around a long time have to be like this or have to be like that. And yet what we've seen is in ministry here is that oftentimes it can be young people who are actually saying, this is how it should be out of immaturity. And so we can set up all sorts of, of different laws. And they don't even have to be laws like this. Let me give you another example. Someone can say, listen, um, I, I can kind of do whatever I want. I mean, I know I can't really. I know I shouldn't be doing these things with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend. But after all, once saved, always saved. And I mean, I mean the, 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 the truth of the matter is, God's a forgiving God, and, and I know that, uh, you know, I might not, I shouldn't really be doing these things, but God's a forgiving God. And what I've been taught in church is, hey, once you get saved, you're always saved, so you can pretty much do anything you want. Listen. That is the tradition of man. That is not the commandment of God. And so we have all sorts of different things, whether it's the color of the carpet of the church, whether it's do we have drums in church, although that is an argument that you don't hear much anymore. Or it could be a spiritual tradition like the one we just named. Namely, I can do anything I want because God is a loving God and I'm saved and I said a prayer 10 years ago and I can just do whatever I want. You say, well, don't you believe that when someone truly gets saved that they remain saved for all of their life? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's what the scripture teaches. But their heart has changed. And the person who uses excuses like that shows either that they're not saved or that they're not walking with God and that they've actually traded the word of God for a tradition that doesn't come in the scriptures. And so what we see in this text is you would think that religion is just very generic. But oftentimes, as it is here with these Pharisees and with these scribes, it's actually very particular. Now notice verse 4. Not only is it particular in practice, but it's also particular in judgment. Verse 4. And when they come from the marketplace, this is the description going on, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. They were very particular in their practice, and they were also very judgmental. Did you see so-and-so what they were doing? I mean, we've got this standard in our life, in our house, 
And did you hear about what so-and-so was doing? Did you, did you see what they were doing? Did you see what they, what they said? Did you hear what they said? I can't believe it. If they were truly a, a godly Christian, they would be following the standards that I've set in my own life. The traditions, the good convictions that I have should also be the convictions of this person. This is very dangerous when we start doing that. And so these guys were always busy washing pots and pans, different copper vessels, always wash. Can you imagine always washing your hands like this? Just continually washing your hands. I guess they liked washing dishes, and maybe they, they should have gotten uh, a job as a dishwasher. I mean, they just seemed to love to wash pots and pans. They were always doing it. Why? Because they wanted to be ceremonially clean. And, and they're looking at the disciples, they're looking at Christ's disciples, and they're saying, look at these guys. Yeah, they're okay, they're kind of a ragtag bunch who are following Jesus, their teacher, and they're all filthy, every one of them, that's what they're saying. There's a showdown here between Christ, the authority of Christ, and these men who are coming, and they're saying, Jesus, listen, you need to submit to our traditions. You need to fall in line. We've had this, uh, this oral tradition that has been passed down for hundreds of years. Later, about 200 AD, it would be written down. We, we still have it. It's called the Mishnah. Uh, around 200 AD, it was written down, and, and uh, people can study all of the different traditions. They would have a tradition or a law for every part of life. Can you imagine? From the moment you woke up, uh, to, the, to the time that you went to bed, there was a tradition for this, there was a tradition for that, there was a law for this and a law for that. And here they come to Jesus and they're saying, look, we understand that you've got the crowd on your side. We understand that you're doing all these different things. But uh, sadly, you're actually breaking the tradition you're breaking the oral teaching that has been passed down to us, the commentary on the Old Testament. You've been breaking that. And for that, we have a problem. So they are particular and they are judgmental. Can I just stop and, and just ask you a question here today? Number one, have you ever come in contact with a person who has judged you wrongly? And how does that feel? Have you ever walked into a church where you get an instant sense that there's criticism and condemnation, where people are watching every move that you make and every word that you say is being criticized and being watched and being judged? What an awful feeling that is. In this church, one of the things uh, that we, we hope to foster and we hope to build upon is when people come in and even in our developing relationships that there's a true atmosphere of love that is devoid of the wrong kind of criticism or the wrong kind of judgment. Maybe you've been um, associated with a church like that or maybe you've uh, been part of a family like that or you've had friends like that, that sense of condemnation, that sense of judgment, that sense of you should be measuring up to my standards. Listen, that, that kind of thinking 
That kind of religion is the religion of death. It kills every time. I want to flip that question and, and, and phrase it another way. Have you been that person? Have you been that person? Do you, do you struggle with nitpicking and criticizing and having problems with others, even in the secrecy of your own heart? Not because they're not measuring up to this, but because they're not measuring up to the tradition that you've built in your own mind. And this is, this is what Jesus is after. He's after those who criticize and those, who, those who, who come into an atmosphere like that can just wither and die. And he's also after looking into our own hearts and saying the truth of the matter is, listen carefully, the truth of the matter is every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, has a little Pharisee in our heart. Every one of us. We'd like to say, oh, those Pharisees, are, those Pharisees are always particular and judgmental. The person with the skeptical eye, the person who's suspicious of everything. Did you see that? Hmm. I wonder if they're really a Christian. I heard they watch something that I just find I could never watch. Did you, hear, did you hear what they did and where they went and the thing? Listen, that little Pharisee that comes up in our hearts, Jesus is saying, look, it's not just this group 2,000 years ago. The problem is this kind of false religion keeps creeping up again and again. Listen, any time that you replace the God of the Bible and true religion, true spirituality, and you reject that. Anytime that we say we're not going to follow after the true God, we have to replace it with something else. And you'll find this in every culture. You could go to the remotest part of North America and you'll find Pharisees. You could go to the tip of South America and you'll find Pharisees. You could go to any continent in this world and find Pharisees. Listen, th these guys, according to this text, they made, a, they made a special trip here. And their, their special trip was not to encourage the ministry of Christ. It wasn't to look into it and to say, listen, we hear God's working up here. It says they went down because Jerusalem is on a hill and they came down, but really they went north. We've come, up, we've come up to Galilee here because we've, we've been hearing about the working of God and we want in on this. No, they, they came up to show that their religion was very particular and it was also very, very judgmental in practice. And Christ wants to spare us from that and he wants to spare us whether we're 10 years old or whether we're 100 years old. Let me just say this in passing. It's a, <clears throat> it's a sad thing to meet someone who's at a late stage in life, 90, 95 years old, and they're bitter and critical. They've been in the church their whole life, but they've become cynical and hardened. Do you know that the most mature among us 
should be the most open. That's what Paul taught in Romans. The most welcoming, the most loving, the warmest. You, you take someone who is at that stage in life who has, who has learned a whole lot about religion in their life concerned about all the different uh, minutiae of supposed Christianity. And yet they really do not have that warmth about them. And you take someone who's really dwelt in Mark chapter 7 and gets what these guys are doing and the sin of it. And I'll show you someone who's full of grace and a grandma or a grandpa who's full of mercy and kindness the kind of grandpa or the kind of grandma you want to go to to ask for wisdom. And the reverse is true, as was mentioned earlier. Some of us who are younger need to humble ourselves. Not be so critical. Not act like we know everything when we really don't. We might admit that, but the spirit of rebellion might come out. The spirit of knowing it all, the spirit of criticizing, the spirit of harshness, the spirit of nitpicking everything to pieces. This is, uh, this is not the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of a Pharisee or it's the spirit of a, it's the spirit of a scribe. So they ask him in verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? This is that oral commentary that has been passed down through the ages. But eat with defiled hands. Jesus, we have a question for you. We've been watching and we've been getting reports and we heard it all the way to Jerusalem. We've come up here and uh, we see it ourselves. We can't believe it. You and your boys are actually not washing with, their, with the pure water. They're not washing their hands correctly. We've got, we've got an issue with this. And Jesus makes a great contrast starting in verse 6. He has a harsh word for them. And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Jesus says, I've got a word for you. You're, you're coming at me. You have all this tradition. You have all these different rules. Man, you got, your, your hands are the cleanest hands anyone could see. I mean, water's dripping off all over the place. Your couches are clean. Your, your feet are clean. Your head is clean. You could just jump in the water again and again and again. You guys are the cleanest guys in the world. Ceremonially, ceremonially you're, you're clean. You have all this together. But the truth of the matter is, he says to them, you guys are hypocrites. Now the word uh, hypocrite, I found that this definition to be very uh, helpful. Hypocrite at its, at its essence simply means to be one who acts. An actor who acts in a play. So Jesus is saying, you guys are actors. But Gulich writes this, and this is, this is profound. He says, uh, the word hypocrite, it does not carry the moral overtone of fraud. 
So he says that the, the word hypocrite here does not necessarily have this overtone or this sense of being fraudulent. Sometimes when we think of people who are hypocrites today, we think of them as frauds. They are purposely deceiving people. Maybe you've had this conversation with, with someone, you, you've asked yourself, do those televangelists that are on the Christian TV, are they intentionally deceiving people? I mean, it's one thing to, to preach bad doctrine. It's one thing to, to have a, a Learjet, millions of dollars, begging money for different ministries. And we have seen this down through the, through the ages, down through the years here. But do they know what they're doing? Do they, do they in their mind, are they thinking, okay, I don't believe any of this stuff. I'm going to get out here and preach the Bible, and then I'm going to beg for money. And really what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out there and just deceive people on purpose. That's the question. But in context here, it's very clear here that fraud with the Pharisees of the biblical times, that's not what's in play here. It's not that these guys are trying to trick people. It's not that behind the scenes they're saying, okay, we don't really believe any of this stuff either, but we're going to just act like it. That's, that's not what they're doing. They're not purposely trying to, to con people. So he says this, it does not carry the moral overtone of fraud that our English word does today. Rather, it refers to the discrepancy in the behavior of one who unconsciously has alienated oneself from God, an ungodly person. So what he says here is that a hypocrite, a hypocrite is one who there is a discrepancy between the way that they live and their profession. They're saying all of these things. They're saying they're godly. But Jesus is coming along and he's saying this. Really, you guys are just actors. You guys are playing like you're Christians. He's, he's not saying you're purposely deceiving people. He's just making a, a statement of fact here. You guys are acting like you're Christians or acting like you're godly, but the truth is you're just actors. You're not the real thing. Now think about this for a second. This is amazing. This means that people can actually deceive themselves into believing that they're following God because of all of the different things that they're doing. Now listen, we have people today, and they know, they, they know the lingo. They, they would say something like this. I know going to church doesn't make me a Christian, and I know doing these certain things doesn't make me a Christian, and I know all of that. And uh, I know salvation is by grace through faith. I know all of these things. Listen, you can know all of these things according to the scripture and still be playing as if you were a Christian and you're not. That's, that's what's going on. So there are people who are deceived. There are people who are playing and they're deceived into thinking that their Christianity is real and it's not real Christianity. Now think about that. Think about the fact that there are perhaps millions of people in America today who are playing Christian. They're not purposely trying to deceive people. When I think of playing, I think of uh, my daughters when they were younger. 
well, one still does somewhat uh, to this day. But playing uh, dress up or playing with dolls and going into a, a different land, an imaginary land, playing like she is older. This is what Jesus is saying, that these, these people are simply playing the part. Now this brings us to a very, very important question. How do we know the difference then between someone who is simply playing the part, even though they might not be trying to do it by fraud, they're simply deceived. What's the difference between someone who is simply playing the part and somebody who is truly a believer or truly a Christian? And Jesus answers this question. So let's go back to Mark chapter 7. He says this, in verse 6, he talks about Isaiah, who's prophesying, and he talks about them being hypocrites. He's saying, listen, the people that Isaiah was prophesying to in that day are exactly like you. That's what he's saying. Now, the first comparison he makes here is about the heart. Notice verse 6. He says this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He says, here's, here's the first way you know the, the difference between somebody who really knows God and somebody who is simply acting or somebody who is simply playing. So we need to be asking ourselves a question. Do I really know God or regardless of what I've been taught, Am I simply playing the part or am I simply acting? And the question that Jesus raises here is a matter of the heart. He says, he quotes Isaiah and he says this, these people, they honor me with their lips. That is, they come in and they know how to sing all the songs. Praise the Lord, amen, brother, how you doing? Wonderful to be here in church, isn't it just wonderful? God is so good, amen, hallelujah. Okay, let's get out of here. They know how to sing the songs. They know how to sing all the worship songs. We know how to clap. We know the motions. We, we can go through the whole thing. And Jesus is saying the difference between true religion that is really knowing God is not whether you can do all of that stuff. You can honor God with your lips. You can talk about God is great and isn't God wonderful sister and isn't Jesus terrific brother and all this stuff. People can yak, 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 yak. He's saying this, the difference between true religion and false religion starts with the heart. The heart. And the heart is uh, where the very seed of our affections are. It's the very core of our being. In other words, what he is saying here is this. What God is after is people who sing with their lips. He's not saying lips is wrong or using the tongue is wrong. Psalms is full of singing to the Lord and praising the Lord. But what he's concerned about is this. Are we doing it from our heart? Has our heart been changed? The very core of our being, have we been convicted over the sin in our life? Have we recognized our desperate need of a Savior? Can I, ever ask, can I ask you a question even, even right now? Have you personally ever, not, not, just, not just at a church service, but I mean in your own life, recognize that you need a heart change? 
Have you recognized that, that your heart actually needs to be lifted up and worshiped to the living God? To be born again. This is why Jesus stressed over and over again the things of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Because he's not just trying to get us to join a religion. He's trying to help us to see that what needs to take place is a transformation of our, of our heart and of our very core, the very core of our being. Conviction. Have, have you ever cried out this? Have you ever said this? Lord, have mercy on me. I mean it. I'm not just saying it because someone said, Lord, I'm really asking you. I, I recognize that I'm not a religious person, truly religious. I'm not a person who really loves God. I'm not the truly religious person, according to James, pure and undefiled religion. Lord, I've traded in that religion for man's religion. And God, I'm so sorry. Listen, this guy that I was talking to the other day after we got talking, he just walked away. Just walked away, and I, my prayer is, God, get a hold of his heart. He's heard these things since the time he was, he was this small. But the truth of the matter is, even though he assented to a lot of it up here, he never really gripped his heart here. He never really changed him. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are, you guys are playing the part, but you're not really changed from the heart. Notice the second thing he says there in verse 7. He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. I want to point something out, and then we're going to close here with Psalm chapter 1. He makes a comparison here. He says, you have the tradition of man, the tradition of men, that is the oral interpretation that has been coming down through the centuries. And he says, that is versus or opposed to the law of God. Now here's what a lot of people get. Okay, we get into this text and they say, Oh, wow, that's wonderful. So um, what I learned today is that, you know, being judgmental and very particular about man's traditions is really wrong. And boy, I, I don't ever want to be like that. And I have seen that I am like that sometimes. So I need God to come in and, and change me. But I'm so thankful that I don't have to follow any rules. I'm so thankful that what we've learned today is let's just bash all those particular rules that come up in the traditions of the church. Let's just rip those apart and forget the essence of what the teaching is here. And Jesus saying is, is saying, yes, the traditions of man are not God's word. When you elevate them to the position of God's word, that's a real problem. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, the problem is, you have left the word of God behind. You've forgotten it. In other words, what religion does is it says, just follow these traditions, but don't follow God's word. And here's the second indicator of a true Christian. Their heart has been changed, 
And they don't just go, well, now I'm free to just kind of do whatever I want. Their heart has been so changed that now they love the law of God. They love it. Their heart has been changed to where they're ruled by and come underneath the authority of the scripture. So it's not just, hey, we just throw all the law away. No, it's what law do we follow? It's the law of God in our heart that was so opposed to it before, that didn't want to be ruled by anything, that found the word of God to, to be enslaving or to make someone uh, uh, simply captured and in a guilty sense, that all of a sudden this law is what becomes primary. And the traditions of men all of a sudden are seen in their rightful place as far, far, far below the authority of Scripture. One of the things I'm amazed at continually in reading this is Jesus' adherence and his love for the written word. The written word. Over and over again, he keeps coming back to the written word. And this is, this is what I want to close with, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole thing here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here it is, verse 2. But his delight, what does he love, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, in all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Now this is interesting. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, actually, the problem with you hypocrites, the people he was talking to, is he was saying, you're lawless. You think you're so spiritual because you've raised this edifice of religion to try to actually get around and usurp the authority of God's word. And in so doing, you've actually found yourself to be without the actual law of God. And if you really knew God, number one, your heart would be changed. And number two, you would have a deep desire to abide by the written word of God. And so the challenge to us today is this, not to leave the word of God behind. Oh, how many conversations I've had with people that say, oh yes, I believe in that and that. And I'll ask them a question like this. I'll say, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Where'd you even hear about Jesus? The Bible? 
You believe in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, where do you even find out about the Holy Spirit? Uh, the Bible? Well, then don't you think we need to go back to the Bible for all of our practice? Well, yes, but I mean, the decision I'm making right now, I just feel is a decision I, I need to make for myself. But is that a decision that comes underneath the scripture? Or is it simply coming underneath your own traditions and exactly what you want? And Jesus is saying the person who loves him, even though he struggles, and this is a lifelong journey, is a person who says, God, help me not to leave your word behind. Lord, help my life in doctrine and in practice. Lord, help it to be saturated with this. Lord, when I'm confronted with something about how the church is run or how my own life should be or how things in my family should be or how things at work should be, Lord, help me to get away from simple traditions, things that I've been taught and I just believe because I believe them. Lord, let me know what is the difference between beliefs that are simply coming from men and Lord, help me to submit to the true teaching of your word. But his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Oh, that God would just uh, get that in our spirits. The tradition of men and the law of God. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close, if I could ask Crystal?